Broadway Radio's Tell Me More. I'm your host, Matt Timonini. Here on Tell Me More, we strive to talk about projects and topics that don't often get covered on theater podcasts. On today's episode, I got to speak with one of my absolute favorite performers working today, and someone who has become a bit of a Broadway radio regular over the past few years, star of stage, screen, and recording, Grammy nominee and Tony Award winner Lena Hall. I spoke with Lena last week while she was not only obviously in quarantine, but also still dealing with the remnants of a storm the previous night, which you will hear us talk about in the opening minutes of the episode. But despite the uncertainty in the world we now find ourselves living in, Lena is in the midst of an incredibly exciting time. Earlier this month, she released her latest album, The Villa Satori, Growing Up Hate Ashbury, and next month, her highly anticipated new TV show, Snowpiercer, debuts on TNT. Lena and I get into the long gestation processes of both of these projects, how her parents' admittedly hippie home led not only to the songs on her new album, but also to the artist that she is today, and why she decided to ride her Peloton bike during a live-streamed reunion of MTV's Legally Blonde, The Search for the Next Elle Woods. I always love it when I get the chance to talk to Lena, and there's nothing better than getting her to laugh. So we'll get into my conversation with the multi-talented Tony winner Lena Hall in just a second. But before we do, I want to play you a snippet of what could be the perfect mix of modern artist and classic song as Lena sings a classic from Janis Joplin. How are you? I'm good. Um, just let me know if uh, my service is, you know, good or bad because the power went out over here, and um, oh, so I don't have any Wi-Fi. Oh no, this <laughs> sounds this sounds okay, but it uh, really bad time for power to go out. Very interesting time for the power to go out. <laughs> my goodness. Go back on pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. How long has it been out? Um, well, there was a storm last night, and the power went out for about an hour last night. And we were fine, and uh, this morning everything was fine. And then around an hour ago, it the power went back out. <laughs> Great, perfect timing. So I, yeah, I think that they're doing work on the um, on the lines, the power lines. I'm I'm in northwestern Connecticut in a pretty rural area, so. Uh, so yeah, the power goes out for us when they're working on things for a little yeah. while. <laughs> well, hopefully they get that figured out soon. Well, I, I know you, <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure you, you guys want it, but you've, I know that you've been working, uh, on the house quite a bit, uh, over this quarantine, you even built yourself a studio in a closet or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, um, I built myself a, um, this is, you have this big basement and there's like 400 closets in the basement. That's, I mean, that's an overstatement, but you know, there's a bunch of closets <laughs> in the uh, basement <laughs> and we don't have any stuff to fill the closet. So, um, I, I was gonna make one into like an isolation booth for vocals anyway. And, uh, we found one with, um, with an outlet in it. And I was like, who has an outlet in a closet? 
so, that's perfect. I thought it was so lucky. Yeah, it was. I was like, oh well, that's lucky. So we uh, we basically, um, well, I, I, you know, stapled a bunch of you know foam uh, <laughs> crates to the walls and uh, created a created a vocal booth in there. Have you done anything in it yet? I have, yeah. <laughs> Just stuff uh, messing around, like to test things out, or have you recorded anything that we're going to hear eventually? Um. Well, right now, um, I'm still learning, um, like Ableton Live, so I'm oh, still yeah, learning yeah. the program. So um, I've done a demo, and I'm going to record a song for a podcast coming up, but I still am working on the. Um, I'm still working on, you know, the logistics of the, like, using the program and getting the right sound um, coming out. So, yeah, yeah. but I'm able to, like, record high quality vocals that I can send to someone as WAV files, and then they can, you know, mix and master them the way they want. Um, That's awesome. As, with, as it would be, yeah, as it would be in any recording studio. It's just that, like... <laughs> It's just, I don't know how to do it myself yet. (laughs) Well, this is a good time. While no one has to feel any responsibility to be productive during this crazy time, if you feel the motivation to, this is a great time to learn a skill like that. Yeah, exactly. So it'll just be useful in the long run anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when I'm sure when you're off shooting, you know, Snowpiercer. Do you guys shoot in Vancouver? Yeah, we shoot in Vancouver. I imagine at least um, having that sort of skill while you're, you know, shooting somewhere far away from maybe people you're collaborating with, that'll come in handy then too, I'm sure. Yeah, it will. And and but I know enough people now in Vancouver that I can like borrow a sound studio. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, you don't you, you don't have to scrape around for things. You're you're Lena Hall. You can do whatever you want. I I forgot. What am I thinking? So, uh, <laughs> um, but so, no, am I wrong? I mean, I'm not wrong. You're not wrong, no. You're not wrong. Okay. All right. Well, um, so what what else have you been doing? I mean, I want to – I've got so many questions about all this stuff, but since we're talking about the quarantine time and what you're doing, what else have you been doing other than building yourself uh, a recording studio? Um, uh, I've been doing a lot of projects around the house, painting and, you know, just put setting up the house basically. Because um, you guys just moved just in. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's big, and we 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 don't have any furniture, you know. So it's it's um, I can like take the time and and uh, properly paint the place and and make it nice room by room. That's taking up some time. And then another thing that I'm doing is um, I'm like writing and uh, also working on little projects here and there. Um, I'm trying to get other projects moving along even though it's really hard because no one knows when we're coming back and um and then i released that album which i had been holding on to for a long time because i thought i didn't i didn't really know why i had held on to it for so long (laughs) um (laughs) it was kind of something that when i first heard the album i didn't like the way i sounded and so oh wow um I didn't think that I was ever going to release it. And then, and then there was one time and then like a few years later, I was like, well, maybe I'll release it now. And then the whole obsessed thing happened. So I had to put it on hold then. Then I forgot about it. And so I just been kind of sitting there waiting. I I did not realize that you've been (laughs) holding on to it for that one. Cause I know you did uh, like a, 
uh, a cabaret version of the album of some sort, but I didn't realize you've been holding on to it for years. Yeah, for years. I recorded the album right after I did the cabaret show, and I was going to release it wow. then. And then I heard it, and it's this thing that sometimes when I hear or see myself, you know, immediately after I've done something, I, I really don't like it at all. And when time passes, I'm able to accept it more and like it more. So, um, and not be so harsh and critical of myself. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of what had to happen in order to feel like, in order to feel more confident about releasing that. Wow. That's, an, that's, that's a amazing story. Like, so what changed, like as you've, I'm sure you've had to listen back through it before you decided to release it. How did, what you mm-hmm. heard in 2020 differ from what you heard back whenever it was that you actually recorded it. Well, you know, when I, I can hear all the things that I don't like about my voice, like when I immediately hear something back and after a few years, I don't remember what it was. I didn't like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't remember the part, like the parts where I felt like I was off key and I don't remember the parts where I feel like I messed up or didn't do it the way I wanted. And so when I listen back, it's like with fresh ears and it's like the first time I've heard it and I don't hear anything that I had heard before. So, um, so the critical ear becomes, I guess, more open to uh, like listening to it again after years of not listening, like after years go by because you kind of forget all the technical difficulties that you had had when recording an album. And we recorded that album pretty, you know, pretty live. It wasn't live at studio 54, but we did it live in a studio. Um, And so the band was in one room together. They all played together and I was in an isolation room. And so we played all together and I, and I sang with them and that's why I feel like, the vibe of the album has that energy that you get when you go and you see a live show. Like it doesn't sound so canned. It feels a little more live, like a live performance yeah. because that isn't, that is what you're getting. You are getting a live performance from the um, musicians and from me. And I think, you know, there's, a, there were only like a couple spots where I may have cut in just because, I did something really disgusting, you know, <laughs> disgusting, really bad. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I can't have that. You know, so I went back and I was able to like correct a couple things here and there. But all in all, I usually don't like doing too much to a performance because I'd rather let the emotional story be told all the way through without kind of editing in here and there, you know. Yeah. So um, I prefer um, full performance um, as far as recordings are concerned than like being able to go in and like fix this one word and, and like auto tune everything. So it's perfect. And, you know, I don't, I don't like that. I feel like it, you lose a lot of the quality of what makes a live performance so engaging when you make it over perfect. Yeah. Well, and obviously you did something very similar with that, with the whole Obsessed series and how quickly you turned Mm -hmm. around uh, all of that. But what's so interesting about what you just said about it's so important about having the emotion tell the story. And I know anybody who listened to the Obsessed series know how eclectic your musical tastes are. And while all of the songs on this album are super eclectic from each other, I mean, going from, you know, Jefferson Airplane to Metallica and Sex Pistols and the Beatles is like, incredible you don't hear that on an album but i know 
everything <laughs> on. It's I mean, it really is crazy. But I know all of these songs have a really personal, you know, connection. You have a really personal connection to them. And obviously the name of the album is kind of a a callback to, I guess, you, your parents' house had a name. That's what that's what the uh, where the name of the album comes from. What's that whole story? Yeah, so the house I grew up in, and my parents still live there, um, the house I grew up in is an old Victorian in the Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco, um, and my dad bought the house in 1967, um, in the summer of 1967, and he named the house the Villa Satori, which means the house of eternal bliss or eternal happiness. And which is super hippie. And (laughs) (laughs) that explains so much, Lena. Explains so much. (laughs) And so the whole house is just, you know, over time it has collected from my parents' um, friends. They had, you know, their artist friends. They all left something in the house and there's art everywhere. And there's, you know, the ceilings when they, they did the ceilings back when they first got the house, they, you know, um, ripped up paper bags and then pasted them to the ceiling. And it's still there to this day. And there's like tarot cards on the ceilings oh and God. like gold, you know, gold things and all kinds of just like different things that you would, you could find, you know, Polynesian influences as well. And that's all plasters of the ceiling. So there's a ceiling that's gold. There's a ceiling that's green. No room is the same. And, uh, and, and then there's just, there's, you know, photographs of my father's ballets everywhere. My dad was a choreographer, or mm-hmm. well, is, and um, my mom was his prima ballerina. And he had a company um, that he had started in the late 60s because he wanted to do things that were more, um, he wanted to do like hippie ballets. He wanted to do rock and roll ballets. <laughs> he wanted, you know. And he tried doing that. He was choreographing at San Francisco Ballet and he did the first like psychedelic ballet at San Francisco Ballet, but they were far too, you know, they weren't on board with that idea. Yeah. It was too um, ahead of its time <laughs> for, for San Francisco <laughs> Ballet. So he went off and he started his own ballet company so he could do these wild things that he had ideas for. And, um, and so everything in the house, it's photographs of his ballet and it's um, the costume pieces from all the ballets are there. And, you know, it's the house is just layers and layers of of kind of my parents' life. Um, and uh, uh, my mom, you know, she loved to do um, uh, tile mosaics. And so there's a bathroom that is full, just done in complete tile mosaic. And it's it's just so amazing to look at because it took so much time and effort and nothing is, nothing is the same. Everything was found materials. So, you know, the tiles are all different sizes and different, you know, depths. And so it's a really textural wall and you just don't do that. Like a lot of people don't really do that that often because they want everything to be the same or, um, but this is just hyper artistic, you know, expression in the house. There's even a a bathroom with a full blacklight painting, um, like a psychedelic blacklight painting of Alice in Wonderland. And when you, you know, go to the bathroom, you can turn the lights off and turn the blacklight on. And like, oh, my God. <laughs> fits really well with the openings. Light. Yeah, that fits really well with the opening song on the on the uh, on the album. One film makes you. 
Exactly. There's Alice in Wonderland stuff everywhere, and all of it was painted high on acid. <laughs> and like, <laughs> yeah, and my, my dad has this giant waterbed in his room, and you know, it's still, and it's all, it's all there, and it's all pretty much the same, and not a whole lot has changed about the house, and um, you know, this the memories I have in that house, I grew up there and they're really strong because, um, because there was music all the time. And I have just this fascination with the connection between music and memory. And, and, um, and when I was putting the show together, I had, it was my second solo show. Yeah, it was my second solo show. The first one I did was Sin and Salvation, which was just like songs I wanted to sing. And I didn't say anything or tell any stories. And then the second one, people were like, we were, were dying to know about you. So I thought I'd tell like the stories of my childhood and, and, um, and like songs are so embedded in these memories that they basically also tell the story of those same memories in, in a very strange way that is not planned. You know, you like can listen like when I was leaving home to go on tour with cats, when I was just turned 18, it was like that Beatles song. She's She's leaving home. And my dad would always play was constantly running. And that always reminds me of that moment that I left, that I left home and said goodbye to my family for the first time, like out on my own as an adult. Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins. Silently closing her bedroom door Leaving the note that she hoped would say more She goes downstairs to the kitchen Clutching her handkerchief Yeah, I've always had that fascination between music and memory and the connection between the two. Um, It's very strong for me. I mean, have you ever had, like, an ex- ruin a song for you or ruin an artist for you because every time you hear you think of them you're like ah well i was i I was going to ask you talking about the connection between music and memory like not all of these songs are happy you know you know upbeat songs a lot of them have a lot of kind of um, emotional connotations was that hard to go through these songs and put this together and uh relive the memories as you were doing the music no, because I have enough of a, um, a cushion of time. So time yeah. heals all wounds, and eventually we can look back and we can either learn through an experience that we've gone through, or or we can tell the story and, and we can see it far enough away that it's it's less impactful, um, it's, it's less emotional. But of course, there are always things that bring up emotion. But for me, there's enough time between those memories and now that I have a good sense of kind of I have a good separation between it um you know if I was going to tell a story um that is much closer in in day it would be much harder to tell and I don't think actually it would have the same emotional impact on an audience because I often feel that as a as a performer if you are too close and too in what you're talking about um, too emotional and it, like too fresh, then the audience doesn't connect as much as as if you have some time away from what you're talking about. I, That's interesting. I've noticed it. Yeah, when it's too fresh, it's it's too raw, and you're not able to tell. It's like you're not able to tell the story 
almost like, biased to let the audience yeah. feel it for you. You know what I mean? It's like when you're feeling it too much, the audience can't feel it. They become uncomfortable. But when you're oh, able yeah. to tell more of like the story biased, the audience is allowed to feel for you. Yeah, it's like you're you're too know. you're too in it, so you don't actually see all of the details. It's like it's a difference between being yep. in the middle of something and being on top of something and being able to see it from a thousand foot view, so you can actually give a an accurate representation of it rather than just the specificity of what it is that you're feeling. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I want to go real quick back because your parents' house fascinates me. What, <laughs> as a creative person, as you've grown up to be a performer and an artist in many many different ways. What did living in that kind of artistic and creative and, like you said, hippie environment do to kind of turn you into the creative individual that you are? Are you, do you find yourself, you know, not necessarily, you know, putting paper bags on the ceiling as you're working on your house, but like, how do you <laughs> find the threads of how your parents how you grew up in that house, how they decorated and built that house. Do you see the connections between that and the artist you are today? Um, yeah, I, I don't think you can get away from your upbringing and how it affects you in the long run. But, um, but what's interesting is I kind of, I kind of went, I, I'm, I'm very artistic. Um, I, I would say I'm pretty creative, but like, I did go a bit opposite than my parents. So <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> meaning like, <laughs> meaning like I chose to do like to be pretty, um, uh, to like commercial theater and, <laughs> <laughs> and TV film and, you know, like it's pretty structured and <laughs> like a little opposite from like, starting my own company and doing these really wild pieces that, you know, yeah. that is going to be a really small audience that is very, you know, like, and it, it, like, I know that, um, my sister got more of the kind of wild creativeness that my, my mm. parents have. Um, and she, she likes things and she, she likes the comfort of that. And, and she's very, very, um, creative with her hands. Like, um, and she's, you know, not chosen a, a particularly a path. She, she chose she chose a path for you know for for expression. And I don't know. It's it's interesting because I did choose a path for expression, but I also um, I live a much more um, stark lifestyle in that I like a few possessions and um i don't like color and <laughs> <laughs> you know like as far, as far as living situation is concerned like i must have a clutter-free space because i can't deal with the the onslaught of clutter in my parents house you know but that's what that's, that's how you know that's that's their thing and and so um, I'm also pretty analytical as far as my thinking is concerned, as, a, as opposed to my family. Um, they are all much different in their in their thought process, but I, I do have kind of a I do have an anal, analytical brain, and and uh, I, I I'm not so I'm not as emotional based as they are. <laughs> but um, yeah, I try to do things. Um, I, I try to do things with like 
uh, I don't know, like a thought for my future. And, you know, will will this, is this a smart thing to do right now? And it, I, I do have some thought into it. I don't just like throw myself into things um, because I want to be creative, but. Yeah. But I'm sure that's part but, of a reaction to what your, you know, your upbringing was as well. I mean, it's not completely just doing the opposite. I'm sure that it's informed by what you saw, you know, in your childhood and as you were growing up. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a wild childhood. I mean, I was, uh, my parents were always very busy and they were touring and everything. And sometimes my sister and I would be left home with their friends. And, um, and I did spend a lot of time alone in my childhood because I just play the piano at home and, and wait for somebody to show up in the house. And oh, it's not that my parents were bad parents. It's not that my parents <laughs> were bad parents. It's that they were busy. They were busy creating and they were busy doing and, and having their livelihood, which I actually really um, applaud them. But also we were kids and <laughs> we didn't yeah. need our parents. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I did end up uh, spending a lot of my time um, alone at the piano and playing piano, or I would dance around the living room or something like that. I'd, I'd be doing that, paying yeah. myself. And um, yeah, for a while it was my sister and I, we were really um, close when we were kids. And then she's five years older than me. So eventually she got to the point where she wanted to do her own thing and didn't want her little baby sister around. (laughs) And, you know, so, so there was a point where I did spend a lot of time alone when I was a kid. And, uh, but you know, but I, I did, I played the piano. It was like my thing. Yeah. (laughs) I, uh, I shipped my, my childhood piano from my house. And I shipped it all the way to Connecticut because I wanted to save it because it was drowning under clutter, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have it here. My grandfather, he was, um, he, my grandfather was an artist. My father's father, he was an artist. And he's got all these, there's all these paintings that my grandfather did that are in the house. And my grandfather also used to refinish um, furniture and, and paint on the furniture and do paintings on the furniture. And so he refinished that piano. And he painted oh, on the great. piano and, you know, that's, yeah, that, that is what I always looked at. That's, that's how I expressed my emotions was on, was piano. And, um, and, uh, you know, I had to save, I had to save it. So I brought it here and, and now it's prominently displayed and it needs a little <laughs> work, but it's, you know, but I'm happy I've been able to save it. Yeah. Well, and you said you don't like clutter and apparently you don't have any furniture in the house right now. So I guess that's almost like the <laughs> ideal situation. Exactly. A big piano. It's perfect. It fills up the space. <laughs> Nothing else in the house. Although I did see you got a nice couch uh, the other day or the last week or something. So at least you've got somewhere to sit. Yeah. yeah. Yes. We have a couch. We can watch movies. <laughs> that's all that matters. A piano, a couch and an isolation booth. So, um, yeah, so, it's an isolation booth. Yeah, everything is black and white and gray. <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. It's like no color unless it's already existed in the house. Yeah, and then, <laughs> but, but, but although you're painting everything now, so maybe that'll change too. So, um, but so you've got the album. The <laughs> album is out. It's amazing. Like I, what's funny about it is I loved a lot of these songs that I already knew. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. I love this version. And then there's a bunch of songs that I did. Well, not a bunch. Like there's a handful of songs that I didn't know at all. Um, so I loved being introduced yeah. to kind of those things. Um, like I didn't know ca- the calling you. I didn't know that song. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually didn't know the I'm Beatles good. song. Like I, I know I love the Beatles, but I, I wasn't familiar with that one as much. So, um, so I that, love. Yeah. Yes, that is such a surprise because many people have reached out and been like, "Oh, she's leaving home. What's that from?" I'm like, "That's a Beatles song." Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> but I'm so surprised. Yeah, it's on the Sgt. Pepper album. Oh, okay. That's crazy. I mean, they have <laughs> so many or so much uh, in their library yeah. like that they put out. It's like it's almost impossible to know all of them. But I felt like I should have known that one. But uh, I was kind of embarrassed when I looked it up and I was like, oh, the Beatles. Yeah, I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, yeah. The, oh, them. <laughs> yeah. Them. They, 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 they've got a future. Um, and I'm, and I want to I want to move on to, uh, to Snowpiercer. But I have to tell you, I don't know why, but... Anarchy in the UK, that song, like listening to you do that just makes me happy. I know that's not probably what that song is supposed to do, but it makes me happy <laughs> to hear you sing the Sex Pistols like that. Just the way the way your voice sounds is ju- it just brought a huge smile to my face. No, that that's good because that's that's definitely uh the Anarchy in the UK was when my sister was really into the punk rock scene and she would blast like and the Cramps and Susie and the Banshee in her room, which was like this back room um, in like the garden, and uh, and would uh, her friends were all punk rockers, and they, and she you know she's older than me, and they were all a lot older. I had this one punk rock friend named Apollo who was closer to my age, and like um, I would like climb into her room while they were partying, and and like be dressed up in complete ballet gear. And like with a bun and like bright pink clothes on and I'd come and I'd want to hang out, you know, and they'd all kick me out. But Apollo liked me and he was my first kiss. So that's kind of like Aww. that kind of giddy vibe is like, I, it's the sex whistles and it's obviously about anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> but like the, the, the feeling and the, and the vibe I get is exactly what you thought. It's like, like that giddy first kiss. Kind of that's vibe. awesome. So, yeah, I'm smiling the whole time. I'm singing that. Yeah, totally tongue in cheek. Yeah, good, good, good. I love that. I'm glad I, I'm glad that came through appropriately because I felt kind of bad at first. But um... So, so let's shift gears um, from your youth and your childhood to a post-apocalyptic world where the uh, entire globe is covered in permafrost and talk about <laughs> Snowpiercer, which this is one of the weirdest developments for a TV show that I can remember because this the series was announced it feels like years ago and everyone was super excited about it. It's changed networks like three times, but it got picked up for a second season. And the first season is still like a month away from airing. What has this process been like for you as you've been a part of it to see all of the roller coaster rides? And now I think they just moved up the release um, a couple weeks because mm-hmm. people need stuff to watch right now. <laughs> it has been, um, like, yeah, so I've, I've been wanting to get into TV and film forever. And um, this was, I've done like a few guest stars here and there, but never anything really substantial. And so this was the first time I'd ever booked a series regular on a big TV. I was really so stoked about it. Um, uh, and then 
we were, <laughs> and at the same time, I was working on all these other shows. Like I, I was, I had been doing the workshops and like the readings and everything of the share show. And like, right. I remember. Um, and so when we got picked up, I was like, we're going to start filming. We're going to be done filming. And then I'm going to open the share show. It's going to be like one, two bang. Um, it's going to be awesome. Oops. And then, <laughs> and then they were like, well, we're delaying, we're delaying. And, uh, and so they, so as each month went by, they would delay only by like two or three months. I couldn't really figure out a schedule. So I had to say goodbye to anything theater that I had on the docket. Um, and basically I didn't get to do anything for a year because it was a year from when we had filmed the pilot to when we filmed the new pilot and the new series. Um, because they had to rewrite the scripts and they had to rebuild the sets and all kinds of stuff. So it was a wild thing to be a part of something like that because I, it was this big dream of mine coming true and it was so delayed and I was seeing all these other things that I really loved, you know, flipping by the wayside and, um, and, you know, lucky for me, that was the same year that, um, Obsessed was coming out. And the Obsessed series was supposed to happen at the same time as like Cher and the show coming out and all that. And so it was supposed to be this huge like package of things, you know, like, oh, she does TV film, she does Broadway, but she's also a recording artist, you know, and then it just kind of all fell apart. But Obsessed happened. And so I was really thankful that I had that going on. And then, um, and then they called me and they, the TV show basically was like, "Hey, we want to change your character." <laughs> I was I was going to ask because this what? is yeah because yeah because originally I'm assuming this is based on the first pilot. Like you played was it Sayora? It was Sayori who was like an archivist. Yeah. She's like an archivist, and yeah. now you're Miss Audrey, who see I don't we don't I, I we don't know, <laughs> but it's like is a is a singer of some sort. Like that's crazy. Yeah. So. Essentially, like when the writer or when the showrunner left and then eventually the original director left, they hired new people and they looked at their cast they had. And um, the new writer or the new showrunner and the new director, they looked at what I do and they were like, why is she doing this? Like, (laughs) she should be performing and this should be her. So they called me and they asked if I was interested in changing roles to be this other character. And I was like, well, I, I felt like at the time I was just like, whatever, you know, at this point, I, I don't know what to do other than say yes. So yes, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, to, to be honest, it was actually a great twist of fate because I mean, I, I get to show all my strengths as far as this is concerned before it was just, you know, I, I was kind of the villain and now I get to, I, I now I have a role that is actually made for me instead of slipping into a role that was already made. I'm yeah. being made this character, right? Just for, for me to play. And that to me is, you know, really special and also something that rarely happens, you know, if you're lucky that happens. So I feel really lucky that um, I got a chance to be slotted into something that is tailor-made just for my strengths. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, yeah, and so and and I think it's cool that I get to sing on the show, and I think it's cool that they, you know, 
looked at me and wanted to change what I look like, you know, marry more of who I am into the character. Before I was like this redheaded, you know, kind of like Brarian looking. (laughs) 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 This time around, it's kind of like, you know, me amped up. (laughs) So, you know, it's really interesting, the the whole adjustment and the change. But the waiting was really difficult. I'm used to, you know, I'm a Broadway girl. I'm used to working all the time. I am used right. to eight shows a week and rehearsals in the day and shows that, you know, after those shows at night. Like, I'm so used to being completely busy that there's nothing out, like, there's nothing I can do with my day. And now I've been having all this time off and and that that's been the one thing that's been hard to grapple with because I'm such a a workaholic I guess you could call me but um but you know just having faith in this and having faith in this production and and um you know just waiting it out has been tough but also kind of worth it we've already filmed almost all of season two unfortunately we had to stop you know right before we were done but um, but we'll pick that up again. And, and for me, season two is like, I've never been so in love with my character. I like, I've never been so in love with like what I do in something other than like maybe Hedwig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, I am like so in love with season two. Like I can't wait. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so it was tough, but, um, but also worth the way I think, I'm I'm curious to see what people think about it. You know, it has had such a roller coaster ride in the in the press and in in the public. But um, for us, I think there's no other cast that is like it. It feels like a Broadway cast. You know, Broadway cast sure. get really close, and I felt like TV film cast. It's not quite the same energy because it's it's a different work environment. Whereas like a Broadway show, you're with each other for over a year, and you you grow together and you become this family and with TV film, you short for, you shoot for a short period of time. And, and that's, and that's that. And it's like, Oh, I really like you, but you know, we're going to go back to our lives and on to the next. And, um, <laughs> and a lot of times with a Broadway show, it's just like, sometimes you meet your forever friend and you have a special bond. And, and this feels more like a Broadway cast. We all have this very special bond going and I think it's because we've all been through the ringer um, waiting for this thing to happen, <laughs> yeah. you know, and having faith in each other as actors and faith in each other as, as, you know, as, as support. Um, and that we're all just going to make this kick ass. So it's exciting. I love sci-fi. So I'm kind of really excited about the sci-fi aspect. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. I mean, I, if people don't know what the TV show is based on, like it's, based on a Bong Joon-ho film um and he just won the academy award for for Parasite of course but like the movie was incredible so like as soon as this was announced i think even before you were involved like the the Chris yeah. Evans movie Tilda Swinton Octavia Spencer i mean it's a it's an amazing film so like i can only imagine what cuz this is a prequel kind of to what the film is or at least it takes place before the film and the chronology, um, like I've been so excited. Mm-hmm. And then when you get added and Jennifer Conley and Davy Diggs and Allison Wright, I'm like, Oh, this is, this has the potential to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I mean, it all just, you never, you never know. I feel like I never know. I'm in something, 
when when you're in something, you're too close to it. You have no idea if it's not, you know, if yeah. you're going to like it or not. You just don't, you can't tell. You can love what you do and you can love it too with all your heart. But, um, but it, you still have no idea if it's going to connect with an audience. And, uh, and that's, that's the toughest part I think about our biz, like about TV film and also about Broadway is that, you know, you have to have faith in a project because you just never know if it's going to have an audience or not, honestly. Like, you just never know. And no matter how much someone may think something is just going to be a hit, you know, sometimes it's not. <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. find an audience. You just, you just, it's such a, it's such an interesting thing. And there is no, and there, there is no um, magic thing. Like, there is no yeah. magic thing. It does feel very random, but, like, so well, but, yeah, so so we'll see. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, the network has faith in it. If they've already ordered a season two before and filmed most of season two before season one even premieres, so I have I have faith. <laughs> yeah. You can be cautiously optimistic. I am one hundred percent guns a blazing, <laughs> ready for this to be released on May seventeenth. So very very excited. Awesome. Have you have you have you read the books? Oh no, I didn't even know there were books. Yeah, so this is all based on these um, these graphic novels that came out, I think, in the eighties, and uh, they're French. It's a French graphic novel, and um, they're so good. It's really I'm dark. Have to go find them now. Really good and really interesting. Go find them. There's there were three. I think a fourth one was just released in the fall, um, and uh, yeah, it's definitely worth reading because it'll give you. I mean, it's it's very fascinating. It also gives you kind of an insight into the world and um, you'll see more of what we're going for as well, because I know that we're taking cues from the film, but, but, but from the books as well. I was going to say like even some of the promo images and even kind of your look in the stuff that we've seen does look vaguely French as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my, my character is so, <laughs> she was in French for a while, for sure. Okay. All right, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> and nothing else Well, I've taken way more of your time than I intended, but I have to end on this. You were part of the live stream reunion from the cast of Legally Blonde Search for the Next L Woods. And when I flipped that thing on and saw that you were riding a bike, I almost like died right there. Because if people, first off, if anyone was watching that and didn't get the reference, what is your problem? But like, that was one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. Like, where, how did you like, obviously, you've got the Peloton at the house. Did you just decide I'm gonna go for it? Like, that's hilarious. He he tweeted it. And I, he tweeted, he was like, just binge watched Lily Blonde the search for Elle Woods. And he said something about it. And I was like, I was like, hey, <laughs> Hey, we should do a live, like we should do like a live stream and do like a little reunion. And he was yeah. like, Oh my God. Yeah. So, so we put it together. And, um, and then my husband has, he bought this Peloton right when we went into, um, quarantine. Cause he's like, I need to have something to do. Um, like he needs exercise. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And cause I'm, 
I think I think that Legally Blonde truly destroyed my desire to ever um, stationary bike. But <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> makes sense. I, I, understandable. Understandable. I didn't buy it. But then I was like, you know what would be great? Because it's such an homage to the show and that ridiculous episode where we oh were God. on those bikes for hours and hours. And I was like, it'd be great if I wore pink and I sat on this Peloton bike and I did it the entire live stream. And um, and I didn't realize so that it would be like a three hour live stream. <laughs> <laughs> About half hour to the end, I had to call uncle because I was like, it was yeah. basically my butt hurt from the seat. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then the it's next not the pedaling. Day, yeah. My, yeah, the next day my thighs were so swollen, like my pants didn't fit. So That's I'm like hilarious. fighting for two and a half hours straight. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. Like I, yeah, I've been very public about my love both for Legally Blonde the musical and for that show because it was just so bonkers and like even back then 10 years ago like i think we all knew it was bonkers but like you couldn't look away like it was just so bizarre and but to see i mean how many of you have gone on to have these great careers obviously there's you know you and then uh, ashley lauren is in um is in moulin rouge now and uh, lauren zacharin and autumn hurlbert and all these other folks that like have gone on to have these you know really great theater careers like this isn't just like a flash in the pan kind of weird you know, thing that happened a decade ago, like this was really something that led to some fantastic careers. And obviously I have complete faith that all of you would have found those careers without this show, but it was kind of cool to see you all at the beginning of your journeys or not necessarily at the beginning of your journey. Cause you'd had a, a bunch of credits beforehand, but like for, for all <laughs> of us that like didn't know who you were at the time to kind of see that as a starting off point for so many of you is, is really special. I think. Yeah, it was, it was, it was certainly like a moment in time. I don't think we knew what we were getting ourselves into. I think we all just wanted the job essentially. And this yeah. is a way that we were going to have to get the job. And like, um, none of us were there for reality television. And that tells you something because each and every single one of those girls is so insanely talented. And, um, you know, if, if we had just been there for the reality television, like we want to be a reality television star, it would have been a different experience and a different show, but these were all women who um, had the like talent and had the drive and had, you know, they had the stuff to, to do it. And they were all handpicked, you know, it's like, it's like, it's, it's not something that you really see that, that often in reality shows. And at the yeah. time that was when reality was a big deal. It, oh, was, yeah. it was like all reality shows, no scripted shows were coming out this was how it was happening. And, uh, and now it's different. It's like floated back to scripted, which, you know, I, I like. <laughs> yeah. You, what we know about you now, you do not seem like a reality show kind of person. So this, it's even more ironic and a little weird to look back at Lena Hall versus Selena Carvajal at the time. And it, it, it's, it's even a weirder dichotomy when you think about it that way. <laughs> well, I will say I did desperately want to be on Survivor. That I can like, see. I really that one I can see. <laughs> I don't see you on like a, on like uh, The Bachelor, but Survivor I could totally see. I thought it would just be funny because I'm so pale. The whole time I would be having issues with my skin getting burnt. Like that's what would my, <laughs> be my thing. I would just that's covering my body and leaves trying to stay <laughs> not burnt. <laughs> I would watch that. I'd watch it. I'm, I'm good there. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's fun. 
Oh. Maybe if um, Snowpiercer is a big hit, I'll get to do like a celebrity survivor. Yeah, like, but isn't there like a British like I'm a celebrity, get me out of here or something? I think is what it's called. So like I'm, I'm, t- I'm starting that campaign as soon as Snowpiercer launches. That's the campaign. I love it. Okay, cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, Lena, thank you so much. I hope that your power comes back on uh, at some point and you're able to like live a normal life in what is non-normal times. Um, but I'm, yes. I, I love the album. I'm so excited about Snowpiercer and you know, I'm such a huge fan of yours and like, I'm, I'm here for all of the successes that you are having and are certainly going to continue to have once we get back to living in a regular world. Wow, awesome. You're so sweet. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> Thank ha- you so much. Yeah. Well, have a good rest of your day and fingers crossed that we all make it through to the other side. We're going to do it. We're going to make it. We yeah. always prevail. I recommend getting your heart trampled on to anyone. I recommend walking around naked in your living room, yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. My name is Matt Tamanini. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt, and you can reach out to Broadway Radio on both Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. We will have all of Lena's social media information, details on her new album, The Villa Satori, Growing Up Hate Ashbury, and everything you need to know about Snowpiercer in the show notes and on BroadwayRadio.com. Tummy Moore is produced and edited by me. Special thanks, of course, to the absolutely incredible Lena Hall and the man without whom none of Broadway Radio is possible, James Marino. Thanks again for listening, and remember, there's still so much to learn, so many dreams to earn, but even if I crash and burn ten times a day, I think I'm here to stay. I'm gonna find my way. Also, always get a second scoop, and when you get the chance, ask people to tell you more. Yeah, I certainly do. I recommend sticking your foot in your mouth at any time.